0: Brand new episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host Brendan Carrion. This is episode 118, and we're doing a deep dive into the book Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Not, you know, the theoretical idea of a cauldron that you could also jump into, like gurgi at the end of the Black Cauldron. Anyway, <laughs> I'm joined by. a a, a little bit of a modified deep dive crew uh eric my homie eric from high school wasn't able to make it he's having uh some issues with his his feline friend eric we hope that your cat's doing well uh so today we got ashley what up ashley welcome hi thank you for having me
1: here for this
0: (laughs) Ah, of course of course. Absolutely. And uh, RBK is here, as usual. What up, Playa? Not much, man. Just, uh, you know, it, it
2: felt a little like uh, college week again. I was cramming this book into my brain this week. Uh-
0: <laughs> 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 I did the same thing.
1: Yeah, I sat down and read it in like two hours or something and just picked out the stuff I thought was really cool. But yeah, this week was definitely cram time.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, for-
1: for- mm-hmm. For
0: real, for real. And uh, we got Paul, uh, Richard's uh, high school chum. Paul, what up, man? Welcome. Hey,
3: not much, brother. We're here, ready to talk.
0: Yeah, dude. You ready to talk about some Tasha's Cauldron of Everything? Oh, yeah. It's got everything in uh, it. It. It's, dude, it's, it. Dude, it, it's, it has everything. Literally, it's everything <laughs> you could ever possibly want to have a D&D experience Um i don't know about that <laughs> it's gonna have a tall order <laughs> so uh i guess uh because this is a deep dive episode we usually do kind of um we we, we no black hole no anecdotes we just get right into it because we want to cover as much of this book as we possibly can and we want to make it as sort of like compelling and incisive as we possibly can so um a little bit of background on tasha's color everything and on some level we'll kind of get into uh why we chose this book so um this book was a big a big deal when it first came out, and um, I don't know if it's still a big deal in D and D community. I don't know if people are still like drawing lines in the sand over it. But uh, this was the book that had the publicity on it of, oh man, Wizards is changing how you play your character's race. Oh, it's revolutionary. It's got revolutionary shit on it, and people were all like like uh, the the chuds, were like, it's wokeism! Wokeism is in my book now! Wokeism is in D&D! And, um, it kind of inspired a lot of the, uh, like, our orcs racist uh, arguments, and um, you can go back to our episode about fantasy gaming and orcs, and you can make some, you can see some of our thoughts about that, that we, that we, that we argued about, discussed openly, um, outside the context of Tasha's Color and Everything. But, um, at the time when it first came out, this book was very sort of polarizing. Um, I literally had a friend of mine who I didn't really, I knew he was sort of a rightist dude. He's in my play group. He and I just don't really talk about politics very much. And I uh, asked him if he was going to pick it up. And he rocked up to me and said, "Um, uh, I'm never going to give Wizards of the Coast another red cent because they're putting wokeism in books now. I was like, wow, he obviously felt real bad about it. So let's uh, let's uh, just let's let's unpack the elements, the the, the elephant in the room, shall we? And let's get right into it. Right. Because it's right in the front. Now, now Tasha's Cauldron of Everything is um, interestingly, and they kind of make this little note in the front. This is their version of Unearthed Arcana for uh fifth edition all right um
2: well it's based kind of- on their blog on Canna, where they present things to pe- people on the internet so this is a, a lot of this is reprint from the internet and right. then right. and then they've collected it as something that is more official even though everything is
3: optional they curated right, the things yeah. they like and bound it mm-hmm. yeah,
0: yeah yeah uh one of the things that's kind of interesting about D books though is that um because each edition, they kind of sell you the same book again with the new edition. And in this one, they particularly call out the Unearthed Arcana blog that is kind of buried on their web page. It's kind of a hassle to get to. And I used to look at it on a regular basis, and I don't anymore. Um, and they're like, oh, well, this is all from our Unearthed Arcana blog. So if you're looking to draw a line, like a through line, uh, and compare this to other uh, books, you know, Unearthed Arcana is not a bad place to start and it has if you're familiar with like the 3.5 Uncharted can it has a lot of the same stuff player options some gm options some stuff that's going to cause some problems probably and then just a bunch of stuff you're probably never going to use so uh, if we get right into it in chapter 1 character options okay and then there's a bunch of stuff called customizing your origin and this is apparently pretty woke material guys put your 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 controversy faces on, because it tells you that if you don't like the ability modifiers for the race of the character you're playing, you can move them around. Whoa! Uh, I don't know, man. Seems pretty pretty crazy to me. Also, if you don't like the bog-standard languages, you can move those around too. So basically, it's just this list of stuff that people were already doing. It was just, the, just life. That's just life. And then we get down to, on page 8, a little paragraph called personality okay i'm just gonna because this this paragraph is so short that i can read it on this podcast and i'm gonna go ahead and do that if you guys will indulge me yeah for a second mm-hmm. personality the description of a race might suggest various things about the behavior and personality of that people's archetypal adventurers you may ignore those suggestions whether they're about alignment moods interests or any personality trait your character's personality and behavior are entirely yours to determine.
1: <gasps> what?
0: And that's it.
1: And I think that last I'm sentence shocked. really... Yeah, I'm... <gasps> Um, I think the last really, the it wasn't already that way. <laughs> yeah, it really sums up what this entire book is to me is it's this book puts the power back in the player's hand of making their character what they want it to be. And it just gives you more kind of narrative freedom to do so rather than just having to go specifically by.
0: You see, you see, Ashley, I'm really glad that you brought this up because. It's interesting, this perspective, right? I really as I was reading the book. I felt like a lot of this book was almost written to GMs Mm -hmm. who were running these incredibly proscriptive games where they were like, oh, no, if you're going to play D&D, it has to be by XYZ way. And if you Mm -hmm. don't do it XYZ way, then you're not actually playing D&D. And in my experience, like... That's just not how anyone ever played D&D. Yeah. Is that how people are playing D&D now? Where it's like, you're just like, oh, no, you don't. Is that a thing? Is that what's going on out there?
3: I, I, well, especially about personality. Like, I've never run into a group anywhere where it's like, I don't know. I want to play a dwarf that's happy-go-lucky and isn't dour and Tachner and like, no, sorry, leave. Like, you're yeah. off my table. Like, I've never encountered that. Maybe I'm just playing with you know better people than are out there. But like.
2: I think I think really talking about the Adventurers League, like if we if we want to you know say who you know who would be playing there, are, I guarantee you there are play, people that play try to adhere to this like letter of the law, like they're lawful you know in their mm-hmm. way if they play this. Like even you know, look at the even before the characters options, there's like the ten rule the ten rules to remember. And it literally says,
0: oh, my God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was it, such a weird document.
2: It's like the DM adjudicates the rules like, yo, it's your table. Do what you want. Right. Yeah. Ex- uh, ex- exceptions succeed general rules. So like, hey, this thing says something different than the rules. You do it that way. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like, it's literally like trying to add a framework. And I think I've seen these rules elsewhere, like in other books, that uh, trying to put a rule, a framework, so that those people that have to follow the rules like exactly can be a little looser in their interpretation. Like, because I know there are people that literally, literally argue over this stuff, like as their like ho- secondary hobby. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, I, as a long time, lifelong member of the Warhammer community, I have seen stuff like this. Warhammer Citadel. I have gotten very aggressive about releasing documents like this. And it's always interesting to me because the reason a company releases these words written on the page in this order is because they are sensing some kind of problem out there. They're hearing about stuff that's going on in their backyard and they're Mm -hmm. trying to correct it. And to me, I'm just like, because when I say, are people playing this way? I'm not... I'm certainly not trying to diminish the experience of people who have gone into clubs and who have had people talk down on them and gatekeep them like this. Um, I, if, 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 so if that's somebody's experience, I completely believe them. What is boggling to me is that there are so many people out there who must be playing D&D in this way that they felt like they had to write a book to address yeah. it. Like, if Just there's a sign that up.
1: says, don't pee in the pool, it's because someone peed in the pool. You know what right. I mean? Like, that sign is there for a reason. This book is here for a reason. And yeah. as far as, like, playing against the the character types, that's been going on forever. So, I mean, it is. There are a lot of people who have been doing exactly what this book says for a long time. But for some reason, they've decided that it needs to be put into book form and released cool. for everybody.
0: Right, and then and then to have a bunch of reactionary chuds somehow turn this into a line in the sand that this is about wokeism. Like, first mm-hmm. of all, if it's about wokeism, then great. You know, I don't under I I don't understand how there's a single sentence in this part where it says personality mm-hmm. that would somehow suggest the agenda of a nefarious group that's out to ruin fun. And replace it with like high-handed morality lessons at the table. And I don't. I don't.
2: I, I think part I, of this is a reaction to like last summer's orc controversy, and and that that this is being seen as like, oh, the people publishing this are reacting to what we didn't like in the first place, and therefore codifying the thing we didn't that that they didn't the, the people that were objecting to orcs the idea that orcs are this stereotype and come from a certain colonial perspective. And this allows you... It's written here. I've never seen, you know, at a table I want to be at, (laughs) have a problem with me playing an orc that was a wizard, right? It just... I was always uh, uh, punished for for it because my stats didn't match up the, like, optimal stats. But, like, Mm -hmm. if I want to play an orc that's a wizard... I could do it. This allows me to be more uh, you know, useful. Like mm-hmm. if I'm playing an orc that's a wizard because like my heritage, my background, I started, I lived in a, a monastic order. Like I was an orphan that grew up in and my feeding me in uh, books and 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 wisdom allowed me to be you know, I was not you know, out in the wilderness surviving every day, so my strength is not as high. That's what mm-hmm. this is saying allowing to do with on the page i've you know if i could i could always have asked and i'm sure game master was like yeah sure whatever do what you want like most of them don't care because it's not as long as you're not trying to like you know cut everybody off at the knees with your like uh, character that's oh is the most useful character therefore it's the only character
1: (laughs) (laughs) well if you're playing an orc wizard uh Sorry, pop-up. If you're playing an Orc Wizard, you're clearly not trying to min-max. You know what I mean? So it's like you're not trying to make this juggernaut well, yeah. of character, but at least want to be able to, to do something, have some sort of like setup for some sort of success by playing this character. It's more fun that way. Like You don't want to play a character that's always going to fail at everything.
0: Yeah. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head, Ashley, which is that this basically doesn't say anything more radical than your uh, experience playing D&D should be fun. And you should be allowed to do the things you need to do to make your your D&D game fun. And the idea that this is a somehow polarizing document or that this is like a radical document that shows us the direction of like new D&D is insane. There's just I mean, uh, I wish we'll get we'll get this probably more to this in the future. But I wish that this is a document that was showing me a new D&D that was going to be like really full of um, like uh, uh, concepts that I could sink my teeth into. I thought when I heard when I heard all the kerfuffle about this, I thought there was going to be like huge write ups on orc society and drow society that changed them and like made it so that old novels and stuff were not canon anymore. There's nothing like that in here. It just says if you want to play like a really serious gnome or a kind of whimsical orc, then that's fine. No one's no one should kick you out of their table for that. I mean, am I taking crazy pills? This is madness. Well, and the thing that gets me about it is it says like right at the top of everything
3: about this is that they're optional rules. Like if you like one I have personally, my favorite of high fantasy is I like making everybody play humans because I don't I like I like demi humans or whatever you're going to call them. I like them as aliens. And inevitably, if PCs make them, especially at the beginning, dwarves end up being just, you know, fat humans with beards and elves end up being tall humans with pointy ears and it kind of falls into that so like you know the rules are you can you know be a dragonborn or whatever but like for my table i just tell people like everyone's playing human that's the rule like so it's optional like if you got somebody that hates this and is like no I, you know, orcs are a monoculture, elves are a monoculture, and everyone's going to be the same. Like, <laughs> yeah. if that's your brand of fun, I mean, one, count me out. But two, like, I guess you know, a blessing on your house. Go for it.
0: But <laughs> the- yeah, yeah. I mean, that 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 gets right into it, which is that like, um, and this and this is kind of like the strange culture wars that have been breaking out across, uh, essentially the two most high-profile kind of like fantasy gaming companies that there are, which is Games Workshop and YC. Uh, we, we have these guys who are so upset that um, the, the books want to start implying modernity in terms of perspectives and just kind of... And games that have always had a certain kind of inferred cosmopolitan or metropolitan outlook are now going to have explicit outlooks. And they're like losing their fucking minds it's a culture war man you don't want me playing the game wizards is gonna come to my house and they're gonna take away my toys i can't play dnd anymore So you know what you know what like jesus first of all like take a deep breath second of all i hope you don't play dnd anymore you know i mean mm-hmm. this this guy who i had the conversation with about like watsi is not gonna get another single cent out of me like reading that one paragraph has made me really reconsider whether or not i want to play dnd with this dude is this is that paragraph so upsetting to him like as a person it somehow violates his will to be who he needs to be at the table because of that paragraph if if that's the case if if this mildly inclusive paragraph violates who he needs to be then what kind of person is it that he needs to be i mean this mm-hmm. is a this is a very interesting question to me like I kind of it makes me wonder, you know, anyway, um, if if with, you, go, go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, no, no, you're fine. Um, when you were saying that uh, it's people have been playing like this all along, which, yes, they have. There have always been people playing like this. And no, there's nothing in here that is completely groundbreaking, earth shattering like any of that. But uh, it's like. Gay marriage, for example, there have always been gay people. There have always been people who play D&D like this. But by putting it in this book or by making gay marriage legal, for example, or making it more known and more accepted, it makes people more willing to come out and play that way. You know what I mean? So um, that's the way I look at it anyway, is there, there might be people who it just literally never crossed their mind because it wasn't in the rule set or whatever. So for the guy that you were talking about, he doesn't have to play this way, you know? He doesn't have to use it. It is all optional. He doesn't have to start using any of the things. He can say this book is not allowed at my table, which people do. If there's a book of rules or whatever, if there's a book that they don't like, they they can say none of these things are going to be included in my games. Or if you wanted to only play humans, for example, you can still do whatever you want. It's just this book specifically states you can do whatever you want. And for some reason, people are unhappy about that. And and this is...
0: and to that point, the the Xanthar, uh, not Xanthar, but uh, Unearthed Arcana 3.5 was an incredibly disruptive book. Almost no one used it for anything because it was just like madness. It might as well have just been called, mm-hmm. here's some crazy shit that's going to completely <laughs> disbalance your game. And I don't think that this book has that. Now, uh, I feel like we've discussed the sort of like political ramifications of this, of this book, which I thought we were going to spend all episode talking about. Turns out there's a bunch of other shit in here that's actually pretty interesting. Does anybody have any further thoughts on the uh, inclusivity quote unquote angle of the book uh, well, before we go on? Or Well, I
2: well, think the one, the one thing that is to me would be more uh, is more tradition breaking is this is like literally the custom lineage uh, that's like you can make any any humanoid race you want. And it's literally the shortest version of that I've ever seen in any game like. Look, just skin your weird uh, twin-tailed fox people. Use this as a guide. Here you go. Like whatever you want. To me, that is like that. That right there. That paragraph is more inclusive than the other thing before it. Like it's. It makes you. You can do whatever you want. Fine, do it. We're cool with that. And I think that's an attitude that is apparently not well-received so
1: yeah yeah that's true thought, that is a big one i like that
3: the thought i had when brendan you were saying something about like people were losing their minds because it was going to like you thought that based off the reaction it was going to like break the canon of the novels or things like that like i look at that paragraph and like what's is if not the most the second most iconic character in D is Drit stewart i mean now yeah. we can all oh, that Everyone has opinions (laughs) about that. (laughs) But, like, if you think about that, like, if you're trying to, like, I've got to make Dritz do Erden by the rules, well, I guess he's a chaotic, evil drow that somehow runs around and does good things. Like, holy shit, you now have a rule for that. Like, if you really need a rule for that, though I cannot for a a minute imagine why anyone ever needed a rule for that. There's a rule for that now. Now you can play a chaotic, good drow ranger if that's what you Huzzah. Oh, great. Huzzah. We're there, and thus, and thus the and thus the hobby was improved forever.
0: <laughs> so uh, then, after this uh, very tame section that apparently blew up some people's heads, we now have a bunch of like we seriously have almost like seventy pages of completely boring shit. Um, uh, the first thing straight off the bat is we have the artificer, uh, and. I think the artificer deserves a little bit of discussion um i think it's cool that the artificer has stuck around we saw the artificer uh was there the, the genesis of the artificer was uh, eberron. Old 3.5 eberron um the the idea of what the artificer is has changed clearly quite a bit in such a way that it now fits into more campaign settings and it's not super broken because the old the old artificer actually kind of um really disrupted the economy of um, magic items in 3.5 when magic item creation was like an incredibly intensive rules experience, but it actually caused wizards to lose experience points. And then they just dropped this character into the environment and they were like, oh, yeah, this guy can just like create them at will and then just throw them away when he's done with them. (laughs) And uh, they uh, they really made a lot of people angry with the way that they played um, because it kind of negated negated the wizard. And uh, I think what Keith Baker really wanted to do when I when I look at the old artificer is it's very clear to me that he wanted to write sort of a cyberpunk kind of D&D game. And I think he wanted to have a gunslinger character. And so he Mm -hmm. built this thing that could gunsling with wands. And it just turned out that if you played a lot of 3.5, you could make this like super broken thing. Mm -hmm. Anyway,
1: here's the artificer. Yeah. They're back. When, When you say that the next like 70 pages are, are boring. Um, I disagree. I read through the whole thing. Um, And I think that it's not a storybook. Like, I mean, the artificer is more fleshed out because it's an actual whole class that's in there. But everything else, it's like, it's more of a reference thing. I didn't look at it as something that I should read through and be like entertained by necessarily. But it's like you read through and it's like, okay, I want to play a cleric. So I'm going to go to the cleric section and see what new shit I can do with my character. You know, so I saw it more as like a reference thing. So maybe that's why I didn't find it as boring
2: well i i find i I find it weird that that what what D &D should do is just nix level one two and three one and two and you start level three you choose and almost no i think almost no one plays uh uh non-specialized characters anymore like the the Mm -hmm. third level is when you get your specialization those are the classes now like the subclasses subclasses are really the classes like Mm -hmm. You don't, I, I mean, I get, I like a low level game, but D&D kind of has kind of got to a point where like the low level stuff kind of breaks, like it's hard to play, you know, like being a low level wizard, it still sucks. It's always sucked. But the game has moved so far that like, well, you know.
0: All right. So, so, so we've, we've done the full metal RPG thing, which is we've broken into the intensely theoretical already. So,
1: I <laughs> mean. He's weirdos. Need to lighten up.
0: That's right. Immediately that's right. Immediately after the the artificer, <laughs> we come to uh, the uh, about sixty pages of subclasses for the classes that are already exist. Yeah. And if you if you haven't played D anD D five in a minute, you kind of want a reminder. The subclass is the essentially the very specialized class that you take on at about level three, and you get you get powers and feats based on that rather than on just, like, being a fucking rogue anymore. So it's, it's kind of like the old prestige class idea, only they've made it much more part of the DNA of the main class. And, uh, again, so back, back to the theoretical, because we all love, and it has, it has them for all of them, barbarian, cleric, it goes through them alphabetically, and it's a big chunk of pages because there's a lot of fucking classes now. Yeah. So back to what Richard was saying in terms of theoreticals, because what Richard's really getting at is is the crux of, on some level, the big controversies in D&D in, in this era, which is how it's designed. And I think, like Richard's saying, like no one cares about level 1 and 2. But I've heard people say exactly the opposite. People are all like, no one cares about levels past 10. Why do well, we have that too. Yeah. levels past 10? Nobody cares about levels past 10. The entire game should be level 1 through 10. Um Uh, It's very clear that these subclasses are designed to make you feel like there's a lot of options. And Ashley, you've already expressed how you feel like inspired. Mm -hmm. I guess is that a good word? Is that a fair word to to choose? Inspired.
1: Inspired, inspired to what? I'll 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 make a character. Before oh yeah I mean. When I was going through and I saw... Because I love Cleric. Cleric's my favorite to play. And so when I saw, like, the... I know we'll probably get to it if we're going to go through the whole thing. But um, when I saw the Twilight domain that was added, I was like, that's cool as fuck. Like, I really like the Twilight domain. So there's some things that I saw in here that were cool that I'm, like, thinking about how I can put that into my character. But I also, I think, play more 5e. I'll say Pathfinder too, but, like, 5e um, than you guys do. I think that this is kind of more what I... I, I enjoy playing this type of stuff more than you guys do maybe because you like you're, the you're, horror and the cyberpunk and <laughs> well,
0: yeah. your your experience with both Pathfinder and Pathfinder second and yes. yeah. 5e are yeah. very salient right now because mm-hmm. um, I really feel like, and I don't want to go through these class by class and talk about yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh-huh. uh, the offerings. I so. <laughs> like, I mean, because that's, that's what I find boring. Like, yeah. like uh-huh. I would never sit down and read a list of, powers and abilities for pleasure like to me yeah. to me like you said like you said it is a reference document and you when you go to make your character you're gonna go first to go through the core book and be like uh, okay whatever this one's okay this one's fine and then you're gonna come through this one and you're gonna be like oh well, this one's maybe better or, or peaks me yeah. a little bit more mm-hmm. but in terms of boringness it's just like i will never if i read the description of protective bond sixth level peace domain feature <laughs> I will never remember what that is. I, no. It will just be mm-hmm. gone the second I'm done reading it. Yeah. So uh, I'm not going to lie. I just skipped this whole area. It, mm-hmm. I, I feel like they are very acutely aware that where Pathfinder people roast to D&D people is they say, you have no options. There's no options. So they're like, here's more options or whatever. Yeah. Right. And, and, and there's not, optional you, you class
2: optional class features as well. So like they yeah. basically rewrote the ranger like the ranger like all of the ranger features that are in the default ranger they've said oh here's optional versions of all those and they do that on a couple different ones basically the ones i hear people complain like oh ranger is terrible fighter is terrible right. yeah. like
0: all and those classes
2: all those classes that that people say are terrible like here's a bunch of optional powers you can swap out these powers uh to that are not feats just class features basically feats whatever um I think that was that was really I think they were there. Basically, this is like a band aid on the system. This is like trying to, like, you know, look at the audience and say, hey, we want you to have the experience you have been talking about. So here's our idea of what those experiences are.
3: Well, it's kind of like when they released three five. Right. Like they made some change instead of just releasing it as a new edition, where everyone wanted to burn them at the stake with, you know, come at them with pitchforks. They just release an optional book. Like, it's it's the same idea. The one, problem I, the one problem I have with this system is the same, this section, sorry, I should say about the classes, is the same problem I have with five. every version of D&D and, frankly, almost every F20 game I've run into, which is, I like to have, like, magic makes sense. And one of the problems with, I always run into a 5E, is you have... A billion sources of magic, and this adds at least two of them to that already (laughs) like insanely large list. So if you're trying to run 5e and like you want a metaphysics for how like magic works that's internally consistent, you now have to incorporate wizards, sorcerers, clerics. We'll throw paladins and clerics together just being generous. How
1: dare you? <laughs>
3: Rangers and druids will throw them together too. Bards. Now we have to throw in artificers, and then they've added psionics back to it. And if I yeah. said it once, I'll say it a thousand times. You don't need magic and psionics in the same damn game. Like <laughs> both are fine. Like each of them are fine, but they don't need to be together. It's like carrots and it's like carrots and beans. Like you don't mix them <laughs> with your match potatoes.
0: The, they they they've also in terms of creating what you might call consistent metaphysics, they've made it very difficult for the GM in terms of like, well, there's a ghost world and there's a Cthulhu world, and right. there's a fairy world, and then there's the planes, right. and then there's other there's other shit. Like, and you're just like, wow. I mean, it's it's really one of those. Uh, like, I understand it's a toolbox, and the, and the D and D five has had a very toolboxy feel from the beginning, where they kind of, they really don't want to say no to you about anything. They don't right. want any but any like <laughs> specialized game coming out there and eating their lunch. Oh, you want Cthulhu? We got Cthulhu. Oh, you, you want horror stuff? Here's some horror stuff. You know, you're like, Okay, <laughs> all right. Paiso. Paiso <laughs> <laughs> Um But But by creating that toolbox, it makes it so that the players can start kind of wagging the dog where they're like, oh, I'm playing a warlock and my my patron is Cthulhu. And you're like, I didn't know Cthulhu was in my game, but I guess he is now.
1: (laughs) And that just comes down to like session zero and character creation and stuff as the DM setting the expectation of this is the setting we're going to be in. This is kind of the feel we're going for. And you can pick from these things. And I mean. Most tables I've played at, we do that. Where it's like, this is the idea I have for the campaign, so you can play anything within this kind of thing.
2: Is this the first book that canonizes it? Because this is the only book I've ever read. D I haven't read every D and D book, but this book actually mentioned Session Zero and like what you should do and lines and veils. That's later in the book. <laughs> yeah. It's not called lines and veils, but
0: yeah. So <laughs> we'll, get, we'll,
2: we'll get there anyway.
0: <laughs> we'll get we'll, we'll get to to, to their uh, like. Hey, guys, have you heard about new gaming? We haven't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing, though, is that's why I like this is because they put it into book form, like we were saying before, because there are people who don't know what lines and veils are. They don't use them. So they might if they knew about them and for whatever reason they didn't before this. But yeah, so I like that it is in book form because people might be more prone to use them. I mean, I think that's a really good point, Ashley,
3: that like, you know, we're all like long experienced gamers that are in a more, I think we all are in the left end of the gaming pool to put it mildly, you know, so there might, you know, we're not thinking like we're, we're 16 year old kids. that so we're picking up a D and D book for the first time. That's never, yeah. you know, they don't know anybody that plays it. So like, when, well, you I, know, and I, I've definitely been as guilty of this as anybody today of like, when, when like I didn't know I needed a rule for that. Like, well, I'm also, you know, not, you know, a 14, 16-year-old yeah. kid picking this up for the
0: first time.
1: You didn't need a rule for it. It's for the new people coming in. Right. To, to be cl-
0: to be clear, I, yeah. I'm not uh, dumping on the fact, because we're kind of like de facto talking about chapter 4 at this point on page 139. Mm. Um, I'm not dumping on the fact that they put it in for yeah. the people who haven't heard this stuff. What I'm kind of roasting them for is, that it, is in, in my very my way that they didn't go far enough. This is a very kind of milk toasty, very like vague, wishy washy kind of like, like, uh, it's, it's, it's a document that really has no teeth. And they're kind of just like, um, they actually write at one point, like, oh, um, maybe you've heard about stuff like this and if you have you should just research it and find some other stuff <laughs>
2: well just so like put don't... some links in like give some credit to the community that came up with this shit that's yeah, that's that's exactly. a part of it that doesn't really make i don't like that a lot because it's like you should put the link to the x card put the x card in there just put the fucking x card in there like <laughs> I, I could see
0: them i could see watsy having a thing about being like i could see the lawyers at watsy being like we don't put stuff in our books unless we can trademark slash copyright it. Anything mm. that we're putting in is going to be trademarkable, copyrightable, ownable, and mm. we're going to be able to regurgitate it now and forever. So we don't give away free content. We
2: call sign- it the ampersand card. I don't g- – <laughs> like call it the <laughs> ampersand card. Text. Like I, I, you know, I, I really whatever. do wish
0: like, that they had just bails. taken –
3: What are you talking about? We have soft and hard limits. So yeah, exactly. Watch exactly. Soft <laughs> Stop and hard, hard limits. I limit. watching right. right.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, 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 dude! If you guys are gonna write this stuff, like, maybe like reach out to some people from the community and pay someone to write some new shit instead of putting in this kind of like, whoa, uh, is, I mean, yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? I that. And, mm-hmm. and that was my entire pushback on on chapter four because to me it assumes that the game community is so and i'm this is small c conservative, meaning like they're so kind of regressive. They're so not caught up with the times that this seems like hot shit when it's really very kind of like, mm-hmm. here's what everybody else in the whole fucking world has moved on to already. Maybe you should do something like that too. And it's just kind of like, yeah. dudes, come on, get, get, get with the program. That mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, no, I um, agree. With that. I agree. Yeah.
0: Let's, let's roll back to chapter two and talk about my favorite thing in the book. Which is uh, group patrons? Yeah. Holy shit! Mm-hmm. Uh, I was real surprised to find this. This is cool as fuck. Yeah. Um.
2: I think it start. I think this actually. So a lot of this stuff starts in Eberron because this group patrons are also in the Eberron book. It's just not oh, as heavy as this. Like the new which fo- which the new which
0: iteration f- of Eberron.
2: The four, fifth edition version of Eberron.
0: Fifth edition one. Yeah. Which one came out first? That's um, interesting. So, no, do well, they have specific ones? They have like the Zentar, not the Zentarum. Yeah,
2: like they, the, they have the specific Eberron specific stuff, but like this is very much more generic, which I and they mention specific, you know, worlds and specific patrons. But the idea is it's almost like the group template thing a lot of people talk about where it's like, "Oh, we're going to be a team from academia right we're going to be a team of acad- academicians who are going out in the field to like go get artifacts or whatever like i l- i love that idea like i think it really makes dnd groups more cohesive as a, a, a group of characters more crazy and also circling slightly back to the session zero idea they actually mentioned like you should uh you know figure out how you know each other like <laughs> we've only we've only been doing that for like a 15 years but like like to say that like not having to meet in a bar and like they're kind of like building up like the idea of your characters existed before they were level one but also they existed to level three where we probably want you to play anyway. so like
1: (laughs) yeah they're bringing in a lot more of just like the narrative gaming experience i feel like that comes from like pbta which is something you do anyway as you establish those those threads you know so I, I liked that they were bringing that into fighting more.
0: Paul, did you have something you wanted to say before no, I go I on just, my next rant? No, I, <laughs> I, I, I like the patron
3: thing. I, you guys pretty much said that. It, you know, again, it kind of reminds me, actually, the thing that I first thought of was the uh, acquisitions incorporated from Penny Arcade that they put out. The, it's the same type of idea. It puts everybody together like immediately. You're all doing the same thing. You all know what you're in for.
2: I like it. it, well, it that's like the uh, the last one is like being your own patron, right? Yeah, it's exactly. basically that. That's the Acquisitions Incorporated is basically the being your own patron, which is you're running the, the Venturing Guild or whatever, the Criminal Syndicate or whatever it is. Like, hey, here's a couple of rules. Like, I, I actually really enjoy how short a lot of these rule pages are. Like, not getting into like nitty gritty, just like, oh, well, here's the cost yeah. for that. Like, it's yeah. uh, being your own patron in a lot of versions of d d That'd be a whole chapter. Like,
0: uh, <laughs> oh, do, do you remember Birthright? They oh literally God. turned that into a campaign setting. Right. It was just like you're the king and you don't go adventuring anymore. Here's a fucking box set and then a series of additional box sets about how to play that. Right. Um, well, yeah, uh, I feel like Paul hit the nail on the head a few points ago when he says that this is basic, this book is basically D and D 5.5. And it seems like one of the things that this book emphasizes is rather than in previous unearthed arcana's, like oh here's how to do wacky shit here's how to do extremely customizable shit this one is really focused on replayability like it's almost like the writers just tacked the word replayability up in front of them when they were doing their dev sessions because and you and you see kind of where this book comes in the development cycle where the game has been out for a few years there's a whole group of people who have been like just playing it and playing it and playing it probably the There's a bunch of people who have been playing it exclusively, and um, we need new new stuff. We need to um, keep them interested because they're probably getting bored of playing a rogue and a fighter who meet in a bar. How do we break out of that? How do we do something a little different? And just this, this patrons thing of being like, here are some very basic rules, very light, not intrusive. That just answer the question of, well, why do we all hang out together? You know, which, I mean, when you're a kid and you play your first few campaigns at D&D, you don't care. You don't give a fuck about that shit. But you start aging with the game a little bit and the questions start becoming more nuanced and complex. And you start kind of wondering, well, why the fuck does my dragonborn hang out with a cleric of your god? And also you keep doing things that make me hate you why do i stick around you know what i'm saying yeah for um, real and and this this chapter answers those questions so artfully i love the little um the little uh, things that they might send you to do d6 table that accompanies mm-hmm. each type of patron because you can just be like oh i'm going to run a fucking adventure it's going to have six things in it boom 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 you know you just it's a, it, it just wrote a campaign for you It's fucking awesome, man. This is really good.
2: Yeah, yeah, because you could just literally go. That's chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, chapter six, and we're done. And we can have the interstitials where we're back in the university or whatever, talking Mm -hmm. to different the departments that we're part of, like yeah, totally,
0: (laughs) totally. Yeah, I fucking love it. And then oh, and this is also great. Where they have retainer roles, and if, and this is this is showing my, my, my dumbass self. If I had done this, I would have paired role. They have role and background, right? And it's a table, and if you have, want to have this role within the organization, then you should have, then perhaps somebody from this background would fill this role. And the backgrounds, if you forget, from D&D 5 are kind of like little, they're kind of, they're kind of like little background starting packages. They kind of give mm. a vague little story of what you did before you were an adventurer, and it also comes with some gear. Um, but they married the role idea to the background idea rather than the class idea. They were like, right. "It doesn't matter what your class is. Yep. Yep. What matters Perfect. is is what kind what kind of person you are, like how you think, how you operate." Fucking so smart. This is. Right. I mean, this is this is really good development here, and I'm not gonna lie, I was not expecting it.
2: yeah and and it's it i think it's like a lot a lot of fun could be had with these patrons like you could you could legitimately Mm -hmm. you could literally set up like your you could have your rival patrons right you could have like you could basically use one patron and then have the rival patron be And you already have all the structure for it. So you literally just are just like, you can just roll a few characters and then you can, it's already structured. You don't have to think about that. It's fantastic. Like,
0: a great idea. Yeah. Chapter two, strong, very strong. That kind of leads us right into chapter three, the magic items section and more spells and stuff. Does anybody have strong feelings that were summoned up by chapter three?
3: It reemphasizes that green flame blade is a thing and it is the worst thing as far as like preventing munchkin in <laughs> your game that will ever happen in d and I hope. But other than that, it's fine. I,
1: I- liked all the, the magic tattoo things. They had a whole ton of like, you know, runes and oh, different yeah. things like that. The magical tattoo things was pretty cool. Um And on page 132, I just want to show you guys this because I I read it and I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. The uh, Mighty Servant of Luko is like it's like a Jaeger, like a Jaeger that you can carry your shit in. (laughs) Like It's it's this big thing. It can fit two like medium sized characters and all their stuff so armor class is 22 the hit points on this thing are 310 310 hit points in armor class of 22 on this and the speed is 60 feet i'm like you can just like (laughs) jump in this thing and roll around and you're good like like, this is wild
0: (laughs) for the the the, i think ashley's point kind of um jumps over to you richard because in the pre-show we were talking about Shadowrun, and you were like don't fantasy my (laughs) cyberpunk right and um there's There's a number of points. Yeah. There's a number of points in this, uh, book that are where I feel like don't Marvel movie, my D and (laughs) D and, uh, Like yeah. the, the 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 art there's an there's a suit of artificer armor that is very iron man. Iron it's it's man
2: Iron armor. Man, it's literally yeah. Iron Man, and that's the new artificer subclass for this book. It wasn't an yeah. eberron This is that's the new thing in this book for Artificer. <laughs>
0: yeah, so. I did not love it. Did not love it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I literally wow, wrote, wrote down roll. I literally
2: wrote down like for the the other one, the battlesmith I said real steel. I was like, it's clearly my (laughs) friend, robot, real steel, you know? Yeah. Uh, And then, yeah, those are the two that I was like, wait, these are just movies that somebody is like,
3: I really want to play
2: these. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, uh, This, this kind of gets into one of my pet peeves, which is the sort of like, and we've seen this kind of since the nineties. It's one of the, it's like that Marge Simpson meme where she's like, this happened so slowly. I didn't even notice it. But uh, (laughs) it's the kind of the great kind of like, convergence of everything is one thing you know like star wars movies our marvel movies our dnd adventures our pokemon cards our happy meals and it's just it's just kind of like ugh, i guess it's all I, I,
2: interconnected it's all yeah, interconnected yeah. Uh, I, I, well I mean, mean, speaking speaking of which
3: paizo P- i think has the first sin with that with their i always see their, the name of the world run. Galarion or whatever. Galarian. It is, where,
1: Galarian, yeah. Where it's
3: like, they clearly Galarian. said now, it's like, we're going to have a world for every trope. Like, a little country for every mm-hmm. trope in our world.
0: But they <laughs> so were doing, but they, they, they were aping Forgotten Realms with that.
3: Where, where, where oh, no, I... It's, wor- it's worse than Forgotten Realms. Like, it really is. Because it's like they there's like French revolution land. and like, you know, There's America. There's like revolutionary America land. And then there's like, you know, Viking land. And, you know, I take your point. where the adventure mm-hmm. happens. And uh,
0: I, 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 I'm willing to go with you, especially when you look at the, the Pokemon caster character from mm-hmm. uh pathfinder, the mm-hmm. guy who's like, I catch monsters and evolve them. Right. And then I fight them on my behalf and I'm all like I was like, even back then I was like, I don't like what you're doing Pathfinder. <laughs>
1: he just wants to be the very best like no one ever was. That's <laughs>
2: <right>. <laughs> uh, speaking of like connecting everything back, there's literally on like 106, there's traveling to other worlds. They literally talk about how it's a little like blue uh, sidebar and it's like talking about why is all why are the, all these D and D worlds so the same in so many ways? Oh well, there was a first world, and that broke apart. That was the first material plane, and then the first material oh. plane broke apart into all these other material planes, and that's why all these worlds have exactly the same things in them.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's like an I guess, actual little bit of lore. Yeah, I actually thought that a was a fun,
2: it was a more yeah. interesting way to do it than what they you know than like oh yeah. we're just going to ignore these other lines like we're going to try and make a thing but uh, whatever hand waving hand, just hands
0: <laughs> the, the notion of the prime material plane is an old idea I like the, the the I mean I couldn't tell you where it came from but I do remember being in high school and having some grognard guy with a high school beard like telling me about the prime material plane and I'm like well that must mean that there's a secondary material plane or something right the um, material plane
1: <laughs> but, but i would timeline I, I
2: sort of think of it as sort of a meta thing too because it was like the prime material plane was whatever uh the dave arneson's campaign was and then ah, it, it like Black broke it, it broke into all of yeah all of the other campaigns that are after that <laughs> Did so
0: you guys see the taroka of souls on page 129 no yeah i like this quite a bit some this of the match items
3: are really cool like i, I, got, I actually,
0: yeah this is a great, this is a great uh, little Bite of Ravenloft that you can kind of like mm. throw into any campaign. And it's a Taroka deck that um, you can use it to either give advantage to uh, your guys or you can use it to give disadvantage to your opponents. And, um, but whenever you do it, you have to take a check. And if you fail a check, it releases a monster that has been bound into the Taroka um and then you have to go kill the monster and and what's great is that the monster isn't just just it it tells you what monster it is they're like all from the dmg i was like
2: holy shit those are some crazy monsters like for yeah they are
0: (laughs) crazy monsters man yeah and um and then they all have advantage they the the, that monster just gets perpetual advantage and then you get perpetual disadvantage until you take the monster out and i'm like this is this is fucking cool as shit. At the very end, it gets into a um, destroying the deck thing. Hi. It says, in order to destroy the deck, you have to kill all the monsters that are living in the deck. And I'm like, that's another great campaign. Yes, Here's I mean, another so, fucking yeah. you, off. You
3: missed it. Not only your reward for killing all the monsters that live in the deck is you get another monster that lives in the deck that you have to yeah. kill.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there, there's the 15th the fifteenth monster that like is a yeah. big... Well, I won't spoiler it, but there's a big, there's a big evil monster that lives in the fucking deck and he, uh, he's gonna, he's gonna kick the shit out of you. It's, uh, like, you really gotta, like, uh, I mean, this is, this is, this is, you could, you could base a years long campaign around just this, this magic item. And I yes. really think that there's a lot of utility in that. That I dug. I dug the fuck I, out of
2: that. I would love to have that big evil monster, kind of like whenever you pick up the deck, just like subtly whispering in somebody's ear, like "Oh yes, you, yeah, you know, like just yeah. like get intimately and in, in, to know the 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 personality of this bad guy before you get to him. Like every time you use this magic item, like it's fantastic. That
0: would be a great thread. That would be a great thread. Good call. Good
1: call, um I so a this have a question is kinda... on the chart, real quick. So it's got you roll a D one hundred for the different souls that are in there, but then fifteen through hundred or fifteen through zero is just the line. What does that mean? Right. no well, so monster
3: it... pops out. Yeah. yeah. Oh. oh.
1: You yeah. got that makes a sense. You got a
3: card that didn't contain a monster.
1: Cool. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. It, it,
0: yeah. it really wants to cause essentially you're rolling a percentile and you only you have a fourteen percent chance of summoning a monster that's gonna go down every time you summon a monster. So it really yeah. wants you to use the fuck out of this thing. And yeah. if you if you use it a lot, then you'll summon a lot of monsters, which mm-hmm. is great. It's just I love yeah. the wheel. Yeah.
1: And if you go seven days without using it, you lose your attunement. So they definitely want you to use it. So cool,
0: awesome. I like yeah. it. I like that. They want you to use that shit. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're back to uh, chapter four, Dungeon Master's Tools. Uh, we already kind of commented on some of the safety tools stuff and session zero stuff, but then they have this idea of the sidekicks. I thought this was kind of yeah. interesting. I it's think not it would super be interesting, but kind
2: of. I, I would think it would be good right. to run a kids' campaign where they play sidekicks, the sidekick characters, because they're so so kind of focused that you could just ha- give them sidekick characters and not. And not and like they can play whatever creatures and you could have a hero character that they're all helping. Right. So like Mm that, as you know, we kind of, you know, GM PCs are, you know, not a good great, not good for most games. But like for a kid's game, I think that could be a fantastic way to run a kid's game. That was just my thought on the whole sidekick thing.
3: Mm-hmm. i like that idea which is something i had not actually thought of when i was looking at it but the my first thought on this was is it's a thing from back at least as far back as three that i do not like where it's every creature in the world has to have a fucking class and level like right. Right into the baker and he's got to be like a he's a 15th level expert because like <laughs> just give him hit points like
2: you don't like well i i think it specifically says only do this if you're going to bring them along at the very beginning right. only give them expert or whatever just right. kind of figure it out after
3: but it, it's like an extension I, I, of i in the first place i remember it was in three E where they have like a commoner class or right, like a yeah. royal class or like you don't Like, no, what you do is you just tell the DM to assign some hit points and they can do
0: some things. You see, Paul and I were triggered by exactly the same thing, which is the first one is an expert. And I'm like, I remember expert from 3.5. Are they bringing back the non adventuring classes? And then you kind of turn the page and you kind of read a little bit more. and You're like, okay, thank God they aren't. Because, again, Paul has exactly the same take that I do, which is that was a fucking mess. You met, like, a 15th level, like, aristocrat, and you're like, wait a minute. Where'd you get your experience points? Did you go out and, like, kill a bunch of beholders? How right. are you 15th level? Like, I don't understand. Your stats infer that you're incapable of killing beholders, yet you could only be 15th level if you'd killed a bunch of beholders. So what's happening? Lots of rats. Con- no
1: rats. is
0: everywhere, yep. So I thought this was... I thought this uh, sidekick thing was kind of corny, but I didn't hate it. Um, parlaying with monsters, I thought, was a missed opportunity. It's too short. It's a great idea that's way too short. Why only two pages? I mean, at least it this... gets
3: people thinking about solving things without murder, like yes. which is a great leap. Anything that does
1: that, I'm willing to accept. Yeah. Like, if yeah. you're playing murder hobos, you, just, you should have to read this. Just, like, look through it yeah give a it's shot a cool
0: idea mm-hmm. it's my understanding that the ravenloft material which i have ravenloft sitting over there sort of expands on this a little bit but um i haven't looked at ravenloft because i didn't want to i didn't yeah. want to come on here and be like be because like, i love that shit i didn't want to be like oh uh this sucks <laughs> let's just talk about ravenloft i didn't want, I didn't want that to happen is it vanrik um,
1: dinskaid did yeah, you get v- the vanrik v- Nice, nice. Yeah, Von yeah. Richten. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Hey, Van, Van.
2: He's-, He's Van Wilder. You know, like
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Van, Van Morrison Richten. It's the name. It's the name of my CD project. Awesome. You're my
3: brown-eyed corpse.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. So then there's a section: environmental hazards. This is pretty cool. Here's another yeah. cool thing that I like mm-hmm. quite a bit. Um,
2: the wrath of the GM think? codified in a different way. It's a,
0: <laughs> right. But you roll uh, for it. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that, uh, as a, as a lifelong GM, one of the things that is vexing about playing a game like D&D is that, um, players, there's a very fine line between being, um, like encouraging players to be doing stuff and engaging them in conflict with the environment and being punitive. And you often don't really know where that line is. You're kind of trying to gauge the the dispositions of people at the table. And you're also trying to keep people entertained. So it's like a very fine line to walk. Mm -hmm. And what I really like about these environments is the way these are very big effect tables that kind of show uh, a different different environment bleeding into the material plane. And uh, it also tells you, not only does it give you a big table of like cool effects that can happen, but it tells you when they are triggered, so you so mm-hmm. it's not just like you have to sit there. It's like it's like when the players do something or when something happens, roll on the table, and that mm-hmm. hey, it's very OSR like. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Very interesting. Interesting. Tell these guys, you t- you can, you can, there, there's a lot of looking over the fence in this book and um, presenting it as something novel, but. Uh, I, what can I say The the section on page 154, the haunted environment is mm-hmm. so fucking good. I mean, yeah, that was like, really cool. Right. And, and yeah, the infestation.
2: Really the infestation was really cool, too. And so I, I know it's kind of cheesy, but I kind of love the mimic colonies.
1: Yeah. With the juvenile mimics. I was like, that's so cute. <laughs>
0: Dude, <laughs> the mimic colony was real fresh. Mm-hmm. I I, like I got to say real fresh. Like, if you look at the, just kind of across the the board, you have the Far Realm, which is like this Cthulhu thing. But then you have the Haunted Realm, which is, like, that's something that comes up quite a bit. If you're the kind of GM that I am, this is the kind of thing that comes up, and yeah. you just don't really know how to arbitrate it. This is great. This is a great way to arbitrate it. Infested, I thought was neat. Um, and then the Mirror Zone, neat. But then the Mimic like Colony... The yeah, I was just like, shit, this Mimic Colony is, is something I never would have thought of. And that is, that is rad. I read this Magic Mushrooms era thing, and I think that it's on page uh, 166. And I think that the person who wrote this needs to do some Magic Mushrooms and then come back and rewrite it. Yeah, <laughs> my, it was a little like... My professional it, advice. It
2: was a lot of gimmies. Like, it was not like a lot of, you know, because it's supposed to be like poisonous. Like, I was looking at that because it's, it's like the shortest one. And I'm like, wait, shouldn't there be some like psychedelic shit going on here yeah, or some yeah. like like
1: definitely a yeah. guy that
3: this is definitely written by somebody that is uh, an enthusiast of the product. It
1: wants yeah. the,
3: the experience, I think.
1: But I mean, like the creature gains benefits of the telepathy spell for 24 hours. I, they a lot of people think they can, you know, you can speak telepathic.
3: with plants for yeah. eight hours. I mean, yeah. You know, I
1: was like, so <laughs> not totally wrong. I'm like, where's my plus
0: four? Where's my plus four intelligence? And I learn every spell. Yes. Minus
2: four four wisdom, plus four intelligence. I was going to say just (laughs) for
1: 20 minutes, though, because you will immediately forget when it wears off. Uh,
2: And, like, the top one is a magical mist pours out of the creature's eyes and ears, acting as fog cloud for one hour that is centered on the (laughs) creature that moves with it. It's, like, so. You're just gonna sit there for an hour in a cloud? Like, wait, we—that's yes. w- a different
1: experience. See, what hey.
3: been fun- yeah, <laughs> I would have done with It's just made those effects only be real to the person who ate the mushroom.
1: Yeah,
0: so, that would have been be good.
2: Illusionary cloud. But then people will be like, oh, I just believe illusion. It's like, mm.
0: oh, God, please mm. kill me. Thank you for reminding <laughs> me why I don't believe D&D. Um, <laughs> so uh, here we go. We're kind of we're almost done with the book. This is the final section yeah. in the GMing mm-hmm. section. It's this a section called puzzles. Mm-hmm. Um, It's kind of neat. It's a little thing that tells it's kind of. It tells you how to build some puzzles, and it gives you some puzzles to build off of. Uh, And then there's actually some uh, sheets in the back that you can photocopy and distribute if you ever want to run these puzzles. You know, I could be a curmudgeon and say, like, oh, this thing's so full of player options. Your players are going to know all these fucking puzzles. But –
3: I'm gonna be a curmudgeon and say exactly that. But well my, <laughs> like
1: my curmud- separate DM guide or something. Yeah,
2: cool. my curmudgeonly self says, oh, the players are not gonna get these puzzles. Like even if they cause it's a lot of letter replacement. Like at least I was reading some of them, and it was a lot of like, oh, you have to like figure out the number of creatures and then do a letter replacement. Like this is not cryptology, cla- cla- cryptographic.
3: I'm going to dust off my soapbox and stand on it now. Puzzles are the worst things that you could possibly put into a role playing game, because if the players don't get it, it grinds the game to a halt. Like, And then you're either spoon feeding it to them, at which point, what the hell was the point of putting the puzzle there in the first place? Or you go nowhere. Like the game's just done. I will like pack up your dice. Like I guess we'll start playing Star Wars next week. <laughs>
0: I, 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 okay, so here's 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 my reaction, Paul. I agree with you, almost one hundred percent. My my point of contention is is that there is because you you can because you can see that the thinking that you have in D and D design you're thinking in the same way they are where they're like oh man these things are a drag get them out of here and that's why they kind of disappeared and were replaced by traps right traps became this thing and then you either defeated it yes or no with a d20 check and then there's mathematical consequences for either one of those binary decisions but it turns out there's this group of people who really like puzzles and I don't want to gatekeep on them. I'm not going to step on them. If, if fucking puzzles are your thing in d d then go ahead. Enjoy okay. enjoy your puzzles. Um, where you find, and again, this is sort of a recurring theme through this book, where you find a lot of the people who really enjoyed puzzle solving in d went when 3.5 went over to uh, No Puzzles, Just Traps. They all just jumped ship and went to the OSR. Hmm. And because this this book cribs from the OSR so hard you can really tell that they're like, "Please come back. You don't have to play Dungeon Crawl Classics. Here, look. It's a there's a piano in the room and it's missing three keys and you, you know what I'm saying? I like, bro- I,
3: bro- I got rid of my yoga studio and put your put your your old room back. Come back. We never see you anymore. Your father
1: misses you. You don't call. You don't write.
2: See, yeah. And my my thing about puzzles is you should be able to see the solution a lot of these you can't just see this you should be able to see the solution any good puzzle game i've ever played you can see the solution you just can't do it yet you have to figure out you have to go like like the three keys right you're looking for you need to find those three keys for the keyboard okay Mm -hmm. so you're going to be looking for those in the rest of the adventure it shouldn't be Like it's like the locked door problem. It can't. It it could be something bonus, or that could be the end. But if you just go around the rest of the the environment, you're gonna be like, oh, there's a key stuck in the top of that statue's head. How am I gonna get that stupid key? You know.
3: The impenetrable door has you a see, dog-shaped keyhole. Like, you have to go find the dog-shaped key. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. What? What? And what? Richard, the direction you've gone with this is exactly the problem that Paul and I have with puzzles: is that they are, by nature, a MacGuffin that is mysterious, and you and you begin to sort of like uh, uh, suppose things about them. Your your brain engages pattern recognition software or whatever and the pattern recognition software in a human brain is very often wrong so you're immediately i said oh there's a piano and it's missing three keys and your thought was oh we need to find these fucking keys but what if you don't like what if the point of the puzzle is to notice that they make a chord and now you have to play that chord on the piano right and you don't you spend the rest of the fucking dungeon walking around, looking for piano keys, missing piano keys. And they don't exist. I mean, you know what I'm saying?
3: I I mean, I'll show you where my hate of puzzles came from. I was involved in a long-term, uh, two E game newbie or Richard was actually involved in it as well. Um, and there was a place where we, we ran into the Sphinx. They gave us a riddle. It's the in, it's the indestructible Sphinx that you cannot kill. That can kill you immediately if you get it wrong. Of course. And this like five year campaign ground to a halt because like we couldn't figure out what its riddle was. Like and it was not man. just so you know the answer <laughs> right. to it was not man. So like so it's like, okay, well like that was an answer, and like it wasn't even like, you know, like
2: the big boss the or was to, it? to get yeah. to
3: like the final boss of the campaign. It's like a side quest. That, like, their characters are, like, just dead, and everyone else just turned around like, well, guess we're not saving that place. Like, bye.
2: Well, that guy's a dick anyways, but, uh, I mean... Uh, <laughs> uh, who, the
3: Sphinx? No,
2: the guy that made up the Sphinx. Anyway, I didn't play in that game, but I know exactly who you're talking about. Anyway... Uh, <laughs>
0: Well, oh. I want to hear Ashley uh, Ashley's thoughts on this section because yeah. Ashley, you are a self-described uh, pu- puzzle aficionado, uh, sort of. By raising your hand, I'm just mm-hmm. describing those terms. Yeah, to yeah. You, sorry. Uh-huh. No, so, I, so you didn't I, self-describe I did all at
1: all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I did this. What, are, what are your?
0: Th- you raised, you raised your hand. I did that?
1: Yes. So, uh, what are your thoughts here? I love puzzles because um, one of the things I really love about. Uh, Playing is that I get to use my brain in ways that I don't in everyday life. So I really love just the problem solving aspect regardless. I mean, when you're playing, that's kind of what you're doing is you're like, there is a problem. How am I going to solve this? You know, so puzzles are just one more way to do that. So that's why I like puzzles, because it makes me use my brain in a way that I normally wouldn't. And that's what I one of the things I really love about role playing. So um, I, I really like just the whole DM section in this book. But I do like the puzzles because of the fact that it gives you more ideas. Because you can always Google, you know what I mean. But if you're Googling, they're ones that are kind of out there for other people to Google also, so they're easier to get. But um, yeah, I just I really liked that they had them in there, personally. So as far as specifics, I didn't look at the specifics on them. I kind of like right. browsed through them, yeah. but I, um, no, I mean that.
0: Honestly, I think if, if if you're not planning on like running a game anytime soon, I think it's the yeah. kind of thing you probably just didn't even look at. Just let your yeah give that option to your GM so that mm-hmm. they can take it easy one day. I yeah. I didn't look at them too closely either because my my brain is not very good at puzzles, and so I don't know if you could rebuild these puzzles or if these are very very specific puzzles that they're like oh just deploy this in your game yeah. or if they give you uh, the like options about well here's how you might rework it. Mm-hmm. So They a do. Bit of fresh. They have
3: some in there.
0: Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I do like that because it's one of the things I never – I mean, those – um, you know, Ken St. Andre, I guess, is kind of, you know, saying dumb stuff on Twitter right now, so I'm not trying to pump him up too much. But those old Flying Buffaloes, uh, Grimtooth Traps uh, um, uh, collections that had – like they were all based on physics they were all like rube goldberg machines like i'm not sitting Mm -hmm. at home building rube goldberg machines but you could buy books of them if you wanted to introduce them into your stories to foil your players and to kind of tickle that part of their brain um i'm glad that those are out there for people who want them you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. I'm, i'm not proficient at it
1: again it's just one more tool that they have in here so that you can cater the game to what you want it to be so if you don't want to use them don't use them fuck them but right. if you do, then they're in here, and it gives you more more tools, like you said, toolboxy to mm-hmm. use to create the experience that you would like.
0: So uh, let's do closing thoughts on on Tasha's. Uh, Paul, why don't why don't you give us your uh, closing thoughts on the book? I mean, I
3: think the first part of it shouldn't be controversial. That's so. There's that. I think beyond that, it's it's a D and D supplement. Um, I think the first part of it is the only. I, I really do like that they got rid of disconnecting particularly the attribute bump from your you know race or you know uh, origin or whatever so that you can you disconnected that the rest of it I think there's good stuff in there if you're playing 5e as far as the spells the you know the puzzles if you want the puzzles the uh, the uh the magic items, the additional stuff for all the classes. So it you know, it's a D and D supplement. I, I I think the best thing in it that it probably did is just giving people agency to disconnect the starting abilities from being an elf, a dwarf, a human or whatever, or like Richard said earlier, giving you a nice little template just to make your own whatever you want to be. You're too, I think you use the two box tail version. Um that's my take. I cool cool
0: richard thoughts uh
2: i think that it's a it's a if you if you're into 5e it's a it's a worthy book to pick up and read uh i think there's a lot of cool options in here i think they've you know addressed a lot of issues and also i don't yeah like i agreed like this should not be a controversial book in any way it's optional so like uh you know somebody somebody saying it's my table my rules like this is just another set of tools and rules for you to play with i think there's some fun stuff if, if for repelled as, as brendan was saying it just kind of i i'm i'm fine with it i think it's a fine book for 5e so
0: sure sure ashley closing um, thoughts
1: I really liked it so i think i mean you could take this in your phb and that's all you need i mean i know there are a lot of other supplements out there that have a lot of information in them but I really like this one. Um, it's got the stuff at the beginning that was controversial, so it shouldn't be. Um, it's got a lot of new, cool stuff for all the different classes and the subclasses and all of that. And um, yeah, I just I, I really liked it. I thought it was great, and I'm I'm glad I have it. I picked it up before I knew we were doing the deep dive on it, so I wanted it anyway. But I'm I'm really happy with the purchase of it. I like it.
0: Cool, cool. Uh, I ordered this and. Um... Van Richten's Guide simultaneously, and I'm not gonna lie, it was kind of cool when they arrived to like open up the the box and to be like, "Whoa, dude, D and D books, D and D manuals, bro!" Like it just it, it gave me a uh, a feeling, I guess, a nostalgic feeling, like I was a kid again, and it was like that feeling of ripping into a new D and D book, and then that book, that feeling was like almost immediately dispelled by what I consider to be the the kind of like deeply antiseptic experience of interacting with a DD book the contemporary D books they're just very like the art in this book i thought was pretty lackluster um there's <clears throat> uh, despite the nice things i've had to say about the book overall there is probably about a third of it that's just on some level kind of like almost like dead it's just like lists of powers and you're kind of like yeah, nice. I mean, I guess that's cool if I played D&D like all the time. I want more powers than less powers because I don't want to get bored. But um, that's like a third of the page count. And just as like, like we were saying earlier, for the pleasure of sitting and reading a book, it's not very fun. However, was it very fun to read the AD&D Player's Handbook? Second edition? No, it's all math. Why the fuck would you want to read that? So, you know, that's, that's an apples to oranges comparison. Um, there's more better stuff in this book than I gave it credit for on the front end. Uh, It's I think it's a really good guide. And if somebody was like, Brendan, we are we really want you to run a game. We want to get around and do the thing. Please, please, please run fifth edition for us. I'd be like, you know what? I can do that. That's not going to kill me. I'm not going to, like, vomit into my own shoes or anything if I have to run 5th edition. I'll just run, I'll play with this thing. It's got some good stuff in it. There's some actually some good tools in here that will spice this thing up and make it not like eating oatmeal every day for six years. Um, it's actually, it you know, it's cool. What can I say? It's cool. Um, ain't going to set the world on fire, and if you're expecting it to, then you'll be disappointed. And if you're the kind of person who's really so sensitive that it does set your world on fire then my poor sheltered friend you you need to get some life experiences bro is what i'm trying to say you need to go out and talk to some people and shake some hands interact anyway yeah so uh you know i'd give it like three stars out of five or something it's competent book um yeah i mean i'm not angry that i read it how about that
1: that works yeah there we go (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nice.
0: All right. Well, uh, that's uh, another deep dive episode of uh, Full Metal RPG. Out of the way, uh, we got more Full Metal RPG coming to you in July. If you want to reach out and uh, get a hold of us, uh, we have many like vectors to do so. You can find them on our leak tree, which is FullMetalRPG.com. That's the, what you should go. Which to. Which
2: they're seeing in the video right now. Uh, I've transitioned. Wonderful. And, and now mm-hmm. I'm also showing them the classic t-shirt available till July 5th. Uh, this, this will be out at least a few days before that, but we'll be shouting this on, uh, social media as well. The classic, classic t shirt still available in honor of Brendan and his fine work. He has done, uh, for over the years. So, uh, and, and also in honor of all of our fine work, we've got, we found some like, uh, uh, call it, uh, fan art (laughs) (laughs) and uh we had to like put it on a t-shirt fan art so this this fan art uh was we found and it's lovely and then we put some of our favorite reviews on the back of it so it's a new feature so uh these weirdos need to lighten up it's one of our favorite lines we we laugh about it all the time because we will not lighten up it's just not what we do so uh that's also also available rt public store uh as well as meh uh is one of our <laughs> favorite reviews.
1: that's my personal favorite review ever It's just uh, meh
2: so uh that that'll be available for a while i don't know we whatever we suck so it's, it's just gonna it's
0: available it's available as long as it's available so, so uh, yeah
2: if you want a full metal rpg sucks t-shirt we got one for you so
0: <laughs> De- definitely definitely scoop one of those up while they're available and uh you know if you're interested in uh hearing more um like uh uh Brendan hot takes Uh, I will continue doing my Warhammer-themed podcast, uh, Realm of Fire. Uh, That's all caps, Realm of Fire, exclamation point. That's uh, for Warhammer hot takes. But you still have, I think, about two more episodes of dealing with old Brendan before I shuffle out the door and uh, then become like a guest or something. So, um, all right. Uh, uh, I just want to say, Paul, dude, thanks for taking the time to come out today, man. Uh, oh. it's, I know you put a lot of work into being here. Thank you so much. And thank you for your hot takes. I love your hot takes always. Uh, Richard, thank you for putting it together. Ashley, thank you for your insights into especially especially the, the 5e and the Pathfinder stuff because uh, th- three white dudes with beards talking about something <laughs> they don't know about. <laughs> That
2: Welcome a to podcast. podcasting. <laughs>
3: I was going to say, <laughs> that's the <a> sequel of <laughs> Ashley and three white dudes with beards talking about things yeah. they don't know anything about.
0: <laughs> All righty. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great night.
2: Ah.